You know, if you let things bother you, though, you will uh, think about them. Your brain will go to some crazy places if you let it. That's why it's so important we were praying this morning in our prayer time about taking every thought captive. That is important. It's something you have to do on purpose. You have to take thoughts captive. They don't just stop. I don't know if you have this understanding, but God doesn't just put a wall in your brain if you pray and say, Lord, help me to stop having these thoughts. That's not how the word works. There's nowhere in the Bible that says God will force you to stop thinking about things. In fact, the word says the opposite. The word says that it's up to you to take every thought captive. Why do we still have, why do redeemed people still have unredeemed thoughts periodically? I'm not sure. I'm not sure. You're not sure. I know it goes back to living in a fallen world. And sometimes thoughts get put into our head. I've told this story so many times about the hurricane that was coming towards Charlotte and I ended up in a propane line and I don't even use propane. I mean, like it was such a silly thing, but that was a thought that entered my head because of a news report, right? Uh, But you have to take thoughts captive. If you deal with, with anxiety, if you let your brain go to some negative places, then you have to take those thoughts captive. You know, the opposite of worry is just hope. Worry is using your imagination to picture the negative outcome. Hope is using your imagination to picture the positive outcome. And both have a lot of power. Worry has a lot of power because you're coming into agreement in your mind with things the enemy is saying. But hope has even more power because through hope, our faith is directed. Like I, I say this a lot, but if faith is the air conditioner that's cooling this building down very nicely right now, hope is the thermostat on the wall that directs that air conditioner. Hope is so important to the believer. You got to take thoughts captive. Lisa and I were in Colorado this past week, and we got a phone call. Uh, it was 1230 there. It was 230 a.m. here. Uh, our kids were at Will and Brittany's house staying for the week, and they were taking them to school and having teenagers, I guess. That was an adventure. Our dog was with Lisa's mom. Our house was empty, but we got a phone call from the alarm company, and they said, Uh, We have a motion detector going off in your house. We don't have cameras or anything like that. They said, uh, is it a false alarm? I said, I'm not sure. Uh, They said, should we send police? I said, I guess so. So uh, we hung up the phone, and Lisa goes, well, what do we do? And I said, well, I mean, what are we going to do? We're in Colorado. Our kids aren't there. Our dog isn't there. It's just stuff. If there's somebody in there, I guess they're welcome to it. And I guess we just go to sleep. What else are we going to do? Actually, yeah, Lisa said, actually, I, I did say that. Whatever, they're welcome to it. And she said they're not welcome to it. I come against that in Jesus' name. They have to get out of there. So that was good. She kept me in line, right? And, uh, and then she said, what do we do about this? And then I was able to, to step in and say, we just go to sleep because what else could we do? So we had to take those thoughts captive and we had to get some sleep because, you know, we weren't just in Colorado on vacation. We were ministering. We had to wake up early and lead worship at a morning session. And then we had to lead worship again that night at an evening session. Sleep is important. So we took those thoughts captive. Didn't happen by magic. We had to physically lay there in bed and put our mind on something else other than people rummaging through our stuff and eating our leftover pizza and taking the PlayStation and all that. Well, and it was good we did because in the end it was a false alarm. We found out the next day when uh, good old Pastor Will went over and checked for me. So thank God it was a false alarm, but we could have really had a miserable night. We had to take those thoughts captive. And I do feel like that word is for more than a few of you out here. If you're having negative thoughts, if you deal with your mind going to negative places, stop asking God to change the way you're thinking. Stop asking God to take away those thoughts. Do what the word says Take those thoughts captive. Take them captive or they will take you captive. Romans 12, 2 says that we renew our mind to the word. Otherwise, our mind will think the same way the world thinks. That's my paraphrasing. But that's what Romans 12, 2 says, that your mind will default to operating the way the world operates if you don't renew your mind to the word. So if you've been asking that question, why did my mind go here? The answer is you allow it to. If you're asking the question, why, is, why are things up here so negative? Why do I always worry? It's because you are allowing yourself to go there. Take those thoughts captive. Cast down vain imagination and start directing your thoughts toward hope other than worry. That's good. That's a little mini message. Not even talking about that at all today. So I hope you took some notes, right? That word was for somebody. 
So thank you, Jesus, for this morning. Thank you for this time we've already had in your presence and that your word is going to bear fruit in our lives as we hear it. Thank you, Father. Amen. Awesome. Well, we love you guys so much. We do love traveling and doing ministry, but there's no place like home. We love being here with our FCG family more than anything. So that is, uh, man, our heart gets excited every time. So last week was our third week of our Friendship with God series. And I started a message that I'm really going to finish today, but it's centered around, this is a very quick review for those of you that weren't here or haven't listened, it's centered around stepping into friendship with God rather than servanthood, right? And as we step into friendship with God in the book of John, he gives us uh, what I like to kind of refer to as a blank check. Somebody gives you a blank check. In fact, I heard a story this weekend. Ashley, who will be here in a few weeks, was telling this story about a, uh, a guy who taught him about giving. And this is the way the story goes. He said, uh, the Lord woke Ashley up one morning and said, I want you to go give this minister who Ashley was going to be with a check today. And I want you to write it for uh, a, a big number. I want you to keep on thinking about numbers until you get nervous. That's how much I want you to give him. So at the time, Ashley shared that for him, the number 2,000 was pretty uh, unrealistic, but it made him, ner- I mean, it was realistic, but it made him nervous to give that much to somebody in offering. So he wrote it for $2,000. And as he approached that pastor that day, he said, hey, the Lord told me to give you a big offering. And the guy said, oh, the Lord told me to give you a big offering today. And Ashley said, he jokingly said, well, I wonder whose is more. And the guy didn't bat an eye. He looked at Ashley. He goes, oh, mine is more for sure. And Ashley is like, well, mine is $2,000. That's a lot of money. So Ashley gives him the check. The guy takes it. He looks at it. He sees that it's $2,000 and he pulls out his checkbook and writes a check for $8,000 and gives Ashley $8,000. And Ashley goes, were you going to give me $8,000 before I gave you $2,000? And he goes, oh, the Lord told me to give you four times whatever you gave me today. And so I guess if Ashley would have written that check for ten grand, he would have gotten a $40,000 check. But that's just what the guy said. Ashley's going to give you an offering, whatever he gives you, quadruple it and give him that. Basically, it was like a blank check based on what Ashley and where his faith was. In the similar manner, Jesus talking about friendship, and that is so important that his context is within friendship. He says, for my friends, you can ask anything of my father in my name, and I'm going to give it to you. It's a blank check. It's basically saying, ask me anything. So what we have been talking about is that being an invitation into dreaming and conversation with God. That's why the series is called Friendship with God, but really it's about prayer. Because when we commune with the Father, it's called prayer. And this is an invitation of Jesus saying, talk to my Father, talk to me, they're one. Don't ever forget that, Jesus and the Father are one. He's saying, talk to me about your dreams. Talk to me about your thoughts. Bring it to me and let's have a conversation. And we see this over and over again from the Old Testament to the book of Revelation. He didn't just give Adam and Eve animals. He said, let's get creative. You name the animals. He looked at Moses and told Moses his thoughts. He said, I am going to have to destroy the children of Israel and start a new nation with you because you're faithful. And Moses took that not as a command, but because he was a friend with God. He said, now hang on a second. You said you would take these people from captivity and give them a land flowing with milk and honey. I didn't say that. You said that. Are you going to go back on your word? And then it's one of my favorite scriptures. God says, you have changed my mind to Moses. He says, I will save them. You know, that happened in the New Testament as well. Mary looks at Jesus, her son, and says, we're out of wine. This wedding needs some. Get us some wine. Work a miracle. And Jesus, God in the flesh, looks at I know that she was his mama. She was still a natural human in every way. And he says, my time hasn't come. So God looked at her and said, this isn't how I wanted to do it. God looked at her and said, this isn't my perfect will. God looked at her and said, this isn't really the way I think it should happen. And then he did it. 
There is a level of relationship and friendship we can step into as believers where we take our ideas to God. We take our dreams to him. And I do believe he has a perfect plan for our life. I do believe he has a plan that if we were to stay on it, step one through step 100 and never miss one, it would be awesome. But I doubt any human beside Jesus has ever gotten there without missing a step here and there. He is God. He's all powerful. He can take our dreams. He can give us a yes. And then by the time we get from step one to step 100, hey, maybe it doesn't look exactly like we thought it would look in the beginning. But along the journey of friendship, things happen. Our desires and his desires begin to coincide more and more. Right? The things we think about and the things he thinks about begin to flow together more, just like a natural friendship. I know I, I catch on to phrases that my friends say, and I end up saying them. And eventually they start saying things I say. We can look at a similar situation after being together for years and both probably most likely process the situation the same way eternally because we have rubbed off on each other. Iron sharpens iron, it says in the Bible. The same happens in friendship with God. When we eventually get to that moment when we're like, yes, this is what I was dreaming about. Chances are it actually isn't the exact thing you were dreaming about because as we spend time in friendship, different things happen. And we started last week with that list. I got through two of the five things that happen as we start to dream with God within the context of our relationship with him. And the first thing I spoke about last week was as we dream with him, we become more like him. So there's that one. The second thing that we got to was as we dream with God, we begin because we feel the freedom to do so. Instead of just saying, Lord, show me your will. Tell me what you want for my life. We take a different step and we start talking to him about the things that are in our heart. And when we start, I guess I compared it last week to being on offense instead of defense. Instead of just saying, how do I defend this? What do you want from me? We go on the offensive and we say, Lord, this is what I'm dreaming about. This is what I'm thinking about. And according to Jesus, what we're gonna hear from him when we talk to God within the context of our friendship is he's gonna give us a big green light and say, go for it. Go after it. Let's do it together. And if those things in your heart that you're talking to him about seem overwhelming in your flesh, that is a good sign that you're on the right track because God does not call you to do things that you are able to do in and of and by yourself. You have to have him on your side to complete the things he's called you to do. I mentioned that quote from the basketball player, Tony Parker, who got inducted into the Hall of Fame two weeks ago. And he said, I always tell my kids, if people aren't laughing at you when you tell them your dreams, your dreams aren't big enough. Keep on dreaming, right? Keep on dreaming and dream so big, people laugh at you. Because man, we're not called to do things we can do in and of ourselves. That's awesome. So that's the second thing that happens. As you dream with the Lord, you begin to tell him what you want. It's not necessarily always saying, please speak to me. You're speaking to him. Prayer's a two-way street. Years ago, I've told this story before, but here's a bit of a different perspective on it. But Lisa and I were at a worship event in Greensboro. Some amazing worship leaders were leading worship, Jonathan and Melissa Helser. And they were on stage surrounded by good friends of theirs who were the people in their band and who worked with them within their ministry on the farm they have in Sophia, North Carolina. They were a little bit younger, some of them. And, and, and when they were young people, Jonathan and Melissa, as adults, were pouring into them. And as they became adults, they were doing ministry alongside Jonathan and Melissa. And when we left that night of worship, there was something inside of us that was so drawn, not just to them, but to the idea of doing ministry with, with friends that, that they've poured into that, man, we got in the car and we were like, man, this is something we would love to do this. This is how we want to do ministry. And we prayed and we rejoiced and we said, Lord, we see something in these guys that gets us excited. They're surrounded by their friends doing ministry. That's what we want. That's how we prayed that night. We did not get in the car and hear a loud booming voice saying, now you should also pray for what they have, right? We didn't hear that. We had a desire in our heart and we said, this would be so awesome. 
Lord, if you're leading us down this path, we are saying yes. And here we are, uh, 12, 13 years later, after that moment, we are doing ministry here at FCG surrounded by our best friends. We got Will and Brittany and Austin and Jenny and others who, when they were younger, we were pouring into them and ministries like City Youth, pouring into them pastorally. And we still get to pour into them pastorally. But now as friends and peers, we get to do ministry together. And I'm telling you, it goes back to that moment. It wasn't necessarily God saying, this is what I'm showing you for your life. It was us saying, this is what we want. And here we are over a decade later, enjoying it. And I believe a lot of us aren't walking into things that are in our heart simply because we haven't started the process of taking it to the Lord, right? He's not necessarily, he doesn't have to have you tell him your dreams for him to know but you need you to tell him your dreams. You need you to step into that place where you are saying, this is what I want. I'm now gonna be aware of what you're saying and how you're leading me. It's way more important than you think. So that was step one, you become more like God while you dream with him. Step two, or the next thing that happens is <clears throat> you begin to tell him what you're dreaming about. And then number three, the third thing that will happen as you begin to tell him what you're dreaming about, this is a good one. The things in your heart will move from the inside of you to the outside of you. That's a big deal. Because as long as it's only inside of you, you know what, it's just a thought. It's just a desire. But as soon as that desire moves from the inside to the outside, and that could happen through conversation with somebody, in this case, conversation with God, what happens next is you might want to grab a pen and some paper and write it down. Listen, it's so important. Proverbs 29, 18. If you don't read Proverbs every day, if you don't, if you don't read a proverb at least every day, you're missing out on some awesome, awesome wisdom that will probably at least come up once in your day that you can apply to a situation and see breakthrough. So that's a good challenge. Side note, if you don't read Proverbs every day, start today, pick it up, read Proverbs the way it is most chapters are written out as you can read one verse uh, if, if you'd like, and it would just be one thought, one thing inspired by the Holy Spirit that you can apply to your day. But Proverbs 29, 18 says that where there's no vision, the people perish. Where there's no vision, the people perish. And Lisa and I use that verse when we do marriage counseling and premarital counseling. Where there's no vision, couples and marriages perish. You got to dream together with your spouse. You got to dream together with your friends, dream together with your pastors and dream together with God because without vision, there is a type of death that occurs. Man, that's, that's a big deal where there is no vision. So if you're experiencing areas in your life and you're like, man, this feels like, this feels like dying. I doesn't feel like it has life. Doesn't feel like I'm moving forward. You need some vision get some vision. Chances are you got some on the inside. So here you go, take a big step and begin to share it with God. The next step you'll take is Habakkuk 2.2 says, the Lord said to the prophet Habakkuk, write the vision down, make it plain upon tables that he may run with it who reads it. This is where the new age world gets that idea that if we put an image in front of us and we just look at it every day, eventually we'll get there. Uh, there was this book that came out years ago that was pretty new age and people took it. And I think the point of the book was like, if you want a different house, take a picture of the house you want, draw it, put it on your, put it on your refrigerator and you'll look at it. You'll see it every time you open the fridge. And eventually, subconsciously, your mind will just lead you to that, right? That's like the new age idea of it. But the word, we know everything that is seems good at all to the world is taken uh, from the word. It's a type of perversion of the word. So what the word says about that is write the vision down because when you do, you will begin to run with it. You need to get that vision from the inside of you to the outside of you. Write it down on paper and call it step one. And do not despise the small beginnings. God starts everything small. You're not gonna wake up one day with a giant ministry if you've never ministered to one person. God starts things small. He didn't populate the entire earth. No, he built a garden. He built a garden. And then he got one person and then two to tend to that garden. 
And he says, take what you see here and spread it to the whole earth. He started the very beginning of creation with one word, one phrase. God starts things small. That's why the word says, don't despise the small beginnings. So the first time you go to the Lord and you say, hey, this is what I've been thinking about. This is what I've been dreaming about. And then you take a sheet of paper and you're like, today I told God that my dream was to preach in front of thousands of people the gospel. Today I told God my dream was to have a small business in my city that gives people employment and where people think they're just coming in to get tools and garden supplies, but they're going to leave and they're going to have an encounter with somebody who loves the Lord and they're going to have an encounter with somebody. They're going to eat a good meal at a restaurant that I own and and they're going to be introduced to Jesus somehow through this. Write it down and don't look at that piece of paper and say, well, that's all it is right now. That's how God does things. He starts things with you. They look small at first, but then because in the kingdom, there's never moving backwards. You keep moving forward from glory to glory and things grow. And sometimes in the natural, you might look like you've taken a step backwards, but that's just the natural. In the spirit, you move forward with the Lord. You learn from mistakes. Even mistakes aren't wasted. And you see that vision move from the inside to the outside. And man, it gets you excited. Because when there is vision, there is no perishing. That's what the book of Proverbs says. Where there is vision, where there is no vision, the people perish. So as you begin to dream with him, one of the things that you might stop doing, um, this isn't 100% wrong, so don't get me wrong here. I mentioned this last week, but this idea that you've heard a lot in church, which Um, the bad version of it is very religious. This less of me and more of you, God. I get what people are saying. I want less of my flesh, absolutely 100%. I want more of the Lord working through me, 100%, 100%. But if you're blood-bought, redeemed saint, man, those thoughts and those desires that you have on the inside of you, you don't need to purge those things out. Those are there because the Lord gives you the desires of your heart. If you are a saint, which means you believe in Jesus. If you believe in Jesus and you love the Lord, you're going after him. You delight in his word. You delight in moments like this. Don't cast out the things you desire and say, less of me, Lord, more of you. No, take those things you desire to him. This is what I'm desiring. And you are going to hear according to Jesus. So if you want to argue with somebody, argue with Jesus, not me. He said, you go to the Lord with those things and he will say yes. Man, those desires you have are there because the Lord has began, he's shaped you. He has shaped those desires himself. Uh, I, I love this example. When I was a kid, I will tell you, I was one of those kids that uh, you, you hear a missionary talk and they're like, yeah, so I've lived in a, a grass hut. This is a real story. I've lived in a grass hut in Africa for the past 10 years. I've never, I haven't watched TV. I haven't been to the movies. My entire day is just ministering to people and boy, it's hot there. And uh, there, there, there's nothing, there, there's no radio. There's no whatever translates to today. There's no internet. There's no Apple music. There's no Netflix. There's no nothing. And I used to hear that. And I'd say, oh my gosh, Lord, please don't send me there. Please don't send me there to live in a grass hut with no baseball or, or, or no, no good food to eat and none of this and none of that. But you know, that's a really silly thought because when you're a believer, when you delight in the Lord, the things he's calling you to do, you're going to only get lit up when you think about that. If the Lord sends you to live in a grass hut in Africa, everything on the inside of you is going to get excited when you think about living in a grass hut in Africa. He is not a God who withholds good things and says, I know this is the thing you hate most in life, but this is what you're supposed to do. No, he is your friend. Remember the book of John chapter 15, the context of friendship, the opposite he talks about is slavery. He says, I no longer call you slaves, but now you are my friends because I let you know the things I'm thinking about. Man, you can be a Christian and you can stay in that servant mindset if you want. But I'm going to tell you, your father desires you to step into friendship rather than servanthood. As my kids get older, I'm starting to enjoy time with them in a whole different way than when they were kids. I loved every minute of when they were young. I'm loving every minute of them now. And there's certain moments I know I can't be 
cool friend dad right now because they need some discipline. But there's a way, an element of adult conversation I can have with my children now, even when they're 16 and 13. Well, well, Judah will be 14 here in a few weeks. But at 16 and 14, it's starting to feel more like talking to a friend than it is a little kid, right? Now, don't get me wrong. There will be times when it's going to have to be just dad, like when we talk about their rooms getting cleaned before school tomorrow. That's going to have to be dad talking, right? But I'm loving and I'm seeing them, our relationship shift as they get older. And in the same way, as you mature as a believer, you should be stepping away from servanthood. Tell me what you want and more into friendship. I know what you want. I already know what you want for my life. And by the way, this is what I want. And then your friend's going to say, boy, that sounds good. That sounds good. I love that you want that. You know, John Wyclef, thank God, he told the Lord what he wanted. He woke up one day and he said, I want to hold the Bible in my own hands. I don't want to just have to wait till some man of God tells me what the Bible says. I want the Bible in print for myself and the common man. And you know what God said? I think you should do that. I think that's a great idea. And the reason you got the Bible on your phone and the reason you got the Bible in print is because a guy named John Wyclef decided he wanted a copy of the Bible for himself. And the Lord said, that's a great idea. Man, the founding fathers of our nation, no matter how they got here, had a good idea. Hey, what if we set up our country's law system based on the word of God? And I believe the Lord said, hey, that's a great idea. Why don't you go ahead and write that out? And I'm grateful. We have a history as believers. Some of the best moments in history were because a friend of God said, this is what I want. This is the dream I'm having. And God said, man, that sounds great. Let's do it. Isn't that awesome? So will there be times when I'm spending time with the Lord and he just downloads something in my heart and says, hey, this is what I'm thinking about. This is what I want. Absolutely. Because friendship is a two-way street. And if my friends just sat around and listened to what I wanted all the time, it wouldn't be much of a friendship. We listen to each other. And we see how we can help each other get to our destination points. And it's the same with the Lord. Tell me what you want. I'm going to tell you what I want. And boy, when it happens, that was step three. You'll begin to move your dreams from the inside to the outside. Step four is so good because you will start to believe. I keep calling them steps. It's more just like happenings. The fourth thing that will happen is you'll begin to believe that God is on your side. And he wants those dreams fulfilled. Why is that important? Because when you, as a child of God, move forward fully convinced that he who is for you is greater than anything that could be against you, oh, it changes the way you think. It changes the decisions you make. It is, becomes the filter that you make every decision from. Where there's a lot of people making decisions right now based on fear, you start making decisions based on it doesn't matter what this world is doing. I have a co-laborer. I have God, my father on my side, and his economy doesn't work like the world's economy. Thank God, that's right. When he, we start to really believe the words from 1 Corinthians chapter 3, verses 6 through 9 that Paul wrote, I have planted Apollos watered, but God gave the increase. So neither is he that planteth anything, neither he that watereth, but God that gives the increase. I love that. We could stop right there. You know, we're talking about this this past week. For all the things that science can do, all the great advances we make, you know what science cannot do is from scratch create a seed. Isn't that crazy? That's one thing that can't happen. Maybe they can clone a plant or they can clone something that's already alive, but science cannot from scratch create a seed. It is only God that can put life into something. And here Paul says, I've planted, Apollos watered, and that's great, but God brought the increase. I got dreams. God has dreams. I'm going to write it down. I'm going to start to take a step. But as I see those dreams become, begin to look more like building blocks, 
oh, it's my co-laborer that's doing the hard work. It's him that's bringing the increase. Now he that planteth and he that watereth are one, and every man shall receive his own reward according to his own labor. For we are laborers together with God. Ye are God's husbandry. Ye are God's building. We are co-laborers. And here is the truth from the word about God wanting our dreams fulfilled. Back to Proverbs. I told you it's such a rich book. Please, man, just jump into Proverbs and let the Lord speak to you through it. Proverbs 13, 12. Hope deferred. Do we know this one by heart? Hope deferred. Let's say it together. Makes the heart sick. Some of you knew it. So it's hope deferred makes the heart sick. You ready? Let's say it together. Hope deferred makes the heart sick. Okay. There's a comma though right after. So the scripture isn't done, but a dream fulfilled is a tree of life. Let's read the whole verse together. You ready? Hope deferred makes the heart sick, but a dream fulfilled is a tree of life. What does it mean? Let's break it down. Let's think about what the tree of life was. I already mentioned the Garden of Eden. Within the Garden of Eden, there were lots of trees. In fact, at least one kind of every tree that exists today was in the Garden of Eden. There was two very unique ones. There was a tree of life and there was the tree of knowledge of good and evil. Here's what God said. Eat from the tree of life and live. Live forever. Eat from the tree of knowledge and you'll die. So we know how that went. But let's just talk about God's desire. I've created a tree of life and it's good. And I'm not withholding it from you. In fact, eat from it as often and as much as you want. And it's, I'm positive, it was probably the best tasting thing, the best tasting fruit there, right? And you don't get fat, right? And the sugar doesn't mess with you. Like eat it as much as you want. And here's the result. You're going to live forever. I mean, that's pretty good. If the tree of life existed in my world, like right now, it'd be cheeseburgers and pizza. You eat from that and you'll live forever. Well, I'd be happy. Those are good things. But I don't think it was a cheeseburger and pizza tree. Whatever was on it, it was good. Whatever was on it, it was good. And God said, eat it. He wanted them to eat from the tree of life. In fact, it was so good. One of the reasons he had to put an angel with a flaming sword at the gates of the garden, because he said, if you stay in this garden, you'll eat from the tree of life, but you'll live forever in this sinful state that you're in. That was one of the main reasons, because it's so good. You'll keep going back. You can't live forever this way. There was a redemption plan. But the tree of life was something that God wanted us to enjoy. And here in Proverbs, the Holy Spirit inspired Solomon to write that when a dream is fulfilled, it's a tree of life. Not to taunt us, but to show us God is on your side. He wants your dreams fulfilled. He wanted you to enjoy the tree of life. He is with you. He is on your side. Your friend wants your dreams to be fulfilled more than you want them to be fulfilled. Because there's some of us that have looked at our dreams and probably labeled it as, well, that's what I would want if, you know, I just was selfish, but I'm not selfish. I'll, I'll do whatever the Lord has for me. I'll do whatever is needed. And you're not taking steps towards that. But God is like saying, no, that's not selfish. That's what I want you to partake in. I want you to enjoy the tree of life. In fact, a desire fulfilled is like eating from the tree of life. Hope deferred, however, makes the heart sick. And we know sickness is not from the Lord. Listen, if something doesn't exist in heaven, then God did not want it to exist on earth. Sickness is one of those things. He doesn't send it. He doesn't use it, right? He can use when we experience sickness. He can use that moment to teach us things if we allow him to. However, he never sends sickness to do any of his work. His word is what was sent to do his work. Come on. And there's nothing we can learn in the middle of a battle against sickness that we can't already learn from the word if we just take it and apply it to our lives. God wants us to live those dreams because he said it's a tree of life. And we know he put that tree of life right in the middle of the garden and said, enjoy it, eat from it. In fact, it was only the lie 
that it wasn't enough that even caused Adam and Eve to step into that moment where they took the fruit and ate it. The enemy appears and he goes, is God, first of all, did he actually say that you'll die if you eat the fruit? Here's the first problem. Eve repeats what she thinks the Lord said, and it's actually not what he said at all. She added to the word. She goes, not only can we not eat it, we can't even touch it or we'll die. God never said that. So already there, she did not have the word down pat like she should have. And he said, well, here's the truth. God knows that if you eat it, you'll become like him. So the lie was, well, based on, I want to be more like God. Is he really withholding something from me? Let's see. And she ate it. Then Adam ate it. They both let themselves believe, even if it was just for a moment, that there was something that was being withheld from them. And let me tell you, if you're not eating from the tree of life on a consistent basis, you're also susceptible to fall to that lie that God's withholding something from you. But let me tell you, he's not. He's not. And the more and more your relationship becomes a friendship with him, the more and more you'll believe he is withholding nothing good from me. And those things that I haven't seen yet, oh, he's with me, beside me, taking every step. And his economy is based on his riches. And Philippians 4.19 says that I'm blessed according to those. And his economy is based on not how I feel, but the consistency of who I am in the spirit. Oh, man, we just keep moving forward with our friend. So that's the fourth thing is you'll begin to believe that he's on your side. You'll begin to believe that he wants you there more than you want to be there. And it filters how you make every decision. No more, I'm going to take a step back for a while. No, but you will know that no matter what season the world is in, and we can get really metaphorical with that. We got literally winter, spring, summer, fall. Metaphorically, uh, times of plenty, times of uh, not plenty, times of life, times of death, times of things being cut away like in the autumn, times of things having new life like in the spring. But your word and your friend says that as a believer, Psalm chapter one, you aren't like trees that are subject to the weather around them. You are like trees planted by the water, bearing fruit every season. And in everything you do, you will prosper. That's your promise. That's your promise. If you're moving forward with a dream in the middle of a winter season, you can be fully confident that you will see fruit in that winter season because you're not getting your life. You're not getting your resources from the world. You're getting your life and your resources from the eternal source, the river that doesn't run dry. Man, that's good news. Even when the physical stuff looks like it's dry. Here's a cool thought. Uh, God told Elijah to go to the brook. The ravens would feed him there. And there's this great, there's so much in that story. And I've talked about it a lot, but I haven't talked about this. He was where God told him to be. And this is how that story transitions. It says the river dried up. And when it dried up, he said, now go to this widow. She's going to feed you and take care of you. But Think about this. He was where God told him to be and the river still dried up. You can be where God tells you to be and things around you can have the appearance of, oh, it's dried up. But take heart because as soon as it looks all dried up around you, God's going to say, okay, and here's where your next step is and you'll find a source just as deep and just as rich, even more so than what just dried up. So don't look at the Lord when things start to look different on the outside and say, but I said yes to you. Why is it like this? It's just a season. Sometimes things around you will dry up. God still will give you supply. You'll still receive your source. Just listen to him. Things can get dried up even when you say yes to him. But it's not him drying it up. He's still got a source somewhere else. Just keep on listening. Here's the fifth thing and the last thing that I have to talk about when you step into friendship and start dreaming. And this is a good one you will experience joy. Could you use some joy, right? There's a big shortage of a lot of things. There's a shortage of umpires for kids' sports. There's a shortage of uh, lumber 
for builders. There's a shortage of, I don't know, I just saw something else that said something about some random thing. Stock up on some type of food or something. It doesn't matter. Right? Remember the toilet paper shortage? Remember the toilet paper shortage? Did that affect anybody? Did anybody here ever run out of toilet paper? Put your hands up. Look around this room. Look around this room. There is not one hand up. So the big toilet paper shortage of whatever year that was evidently affected nobody. If you were here in the room, you would see that not one hand went up when I said, who did this toilet paper shortage affect? So number one, don't be afraid of the next shortage. Number two, you got to know that there is no shortage of supply when it comes to what God has called you to do and what you desire to do with him. And when you do realize that, the thing that will not be another shortage of in your life is joy. If you are experiencing a joy shortage right now, then you're going to have to tap in to who you are in Christ because on the inside of you, one of the things the Holy Spirit produces is joy. And as you step forward in your dreams, John 16, 24, this is again the words of Jesus. This is the chapter after he's talking about friendship. So you can take chapters out in a lot of cases. There were not chapters when the Bible was written. Uh, the chapter 15 leads into chapter 16, but you know what? Take that out. Jesus is talking, and here's what he says. You haven't done this before. Remember, he just said in the context of friendship, ask anything in my name, my Father will do it. So this is right after that. He says, you haven't done this before. Ask using my name. So he's kind of repeating himself. That means it's important. Ask using my name and you will receive. And let's read that last part together. One, two, three. And you will have abundant joy. Okay, so we can all picture this. I receive and I'm abundantly supplied with joy. But there was a step before receiving. Ask. Some of us want to do all the receiving without the asking. But here's a progression. Ask in my name you will receive and you will have abundant joy. If you're a believer and you're dealing with a shortage of joy, let's get very basic. Don't ask God why. Don't say, God, give me joy. If you say to God, please give me joy, his answer is going to be, I already have. You gotta use it. You gotta access it. He's not gonna put his finger down and put a little bit of joy in your heart. He's already done it. So stop asking for things you've already received and just use what you've already received. Use it. Use it. Use it. Use it. You have joy. And if you're not experiencing it, let's go to the basics. Have you asked? Have you asked the Lord something in Jesus' name? Have you said, God, this is what I'm dealing with right now. This is what I want. What's the problem with that? This is what I'm dealing with uh, as a parent. This is what I'm dealing with. I don't know how to talk to my children about this. Lord, I'm not positive right now. It seems like all the discipline, all the ways I've disciplined haven't worked. That's the issue. What I'm asking for some answers. I would love to have some answers. And your friend will not withhold. And he'll say, here's what we can do. Here's what we can do together. Ask, receive, and then you will experience abundant joy. We're talking about the God that basically gave Solomon a wish. He appeared to Solomon when he was a young man. And he didn't say, ask me for something good. He didn't say, ask me for something that will help the kingdom of Israel. He didn't say, ask me for something of noble character. Ask me something he just said, ask me anything and I'll do it for you. Anything. And of course, we know Solomon asked for wisdom. And God said, ooh, that was a good thing to ask for because now all those other trivial things that you could have asked me for, they'll all come from that. Wealth, riches, this will all come from wisdom. Man, that's a good thing. We're still, we're talking about that guy who before Jesus says to Solomon, ask me anything. And I'm telling you, He's looking at you, his friends, and he's saying, ask me anything. Why haven't you? What are you afraid of? There's a lot of us that haven't asked God because we're afraid of a no. But throw it away. 
Because Jesus said, he'll say, yeah, he'll say, let's go. There's a lot of us who haven't asked God because we're afraid if I get my hopes up, I'll be let down. But that is not how the word works. He is the God that does not let your hopes down. Y'all know what I say. It's my phrase. I got it copyrighted now. Get your hopes hopier. As hopey as your hopes are, get them hopier. Raise them up. Get your hopes so high that it is all or nothing. Get your hopes so high that it is no turning back territory. Because you have a God that said, ask using my name and you will receive and you will experience abundant joy. If you have a shortage of abundant joy, go to the beginning, ask God for something. Because when you hear a yes instead of a no, boy, it's going to spark something. When my kids looked at me yesterday, both of them asking for something that they had been wanting. And Lisa and I had just got back from a week in Colorado and really didn't have time to do anything. As, as old as they get, we still like getting them a little something, a little souvenir when we're gone. And we just didn't have time. So when Judah looked at me and he's like, hey, I mean, Madden 24 is out. Like, it'd be cool to have Madden 24. And I was like, let's get it. Let's do it. He's like, wait, what? I saw a little spark in his eyes, saw a little joy. When Ava said later in the day, maybe she had talked to Judah, I don't know. But she's like, hey, there's these pants. And man, if I had these pants, I'd wear them every day. Like, I don't even care. I don't need any more pants. It's the last pair of pants I'd ever need. <laughs> and I was like, you know what, let's get them. That sounds like a good deal to me. Never have to buy pants again. But Lisa and I had already decided, like, we need to do something for the kids. We didn't get a chance to get them anything on our trip. So we need to do a little something. So they both hesitated a bit, but I saw a little spark in their eye. They got excited, right? Sometimes stuff gets us excited. That's all right. But you know what? We'd be talking a different story today because if they hadn't asked, we'd still be talking amongst ourselves. Hey, what should we do for them? Maybe we'll go to their favorite restaurant or something after church. I don't know. But they asked, they received, I saw some joy. If you need some joy, talk to your friend, ask him. He will not withhold. In fact, he said, my father will say yes. It's a good deal. It's a great deal. It's a great, great deal. So here are these five things. One last time, when you begin to dream with God, when you begin to dream with your friend, and I'm gonna invite the band, y'all can make your way up here as we close with this. But when you begin to dream with your friend, here are five things that will happen. Lots of things will happen. These are five I came up with. You'll become more like him. You'll begin to tell him what you want, meaning you'll take the initiative. This is what I want. What do you think about this? Number three, the dreams you have will move from the inside of you to the outside world. They'll start to become more and more real as you say it out loud, as you write it down, as you go to him. Number four, you'll believe that he's on your side and he wants your dreams fulfilled, that he's with you as a co-laborer. That will change the way you think and the way you decide things. And the fifth thing is you'll enjoy the tree of life that was meant from you from the very beginning and you will experience joy, joy deep down, Real joy, not happiness. That, that, that's a great thing. It's good to be happy, but joy is different, right? Happiness is a bit of an outflow of joy. So I guess they do go hand in hand. But joy is a little bit deeper than happy. You'll experience it like never before. Some of us aren't experiencing joy because we haven't asked. Not for joy. Asked God about the things we have in our heart. Ask him about the journey that we're on together with him. But man, I know I can ask my friends in this world anything. I can ask them just about anything. And man, unless there's just no way it can be done, I'm probably going to get a yes. And the same with me. We've done some funny things with our friends. We've had friends that came and helped us uh, we, we, when we were selling our house a few years ago. And the people that wanted to buy it said, can we come tomorrow for the walkthrough? And they asked me at like 9 p.m. And I called my friends and we were patching holes and painting until like three in the morning. Because they said yes when I asked them. And then we all slept for like an hour and came and had church that day. It was awesome. But I asked, I got a yes. It was great. We had fun. We ate floor bojangles. We called it floor jangles. It was good. So remember this blank check 
this ask anything in my name was given within the context of friendship. So there's a bit of a progression I mapped out here. If you're taking notes, if you're writing things down, there's a bit of a progression just for our own good, but this has to start with a redeemed heart, right? So here's the progression of this blank check of a yes. First, we're saved, right? A redeemed heart. Once we get saved, we step from slavery, which we could live as a saved slave if we'd like, but we change our mindset from slavery to God to friend of God, that's step two. Once he's our friend, step three, we start dreaming with him. Step four, once we begin to dream with him, we begin to see that dream impact the world around us. Even if it starts small, we begin to see an impact. And as we see that impact, it's like eating from the tree of life that God wanted us to have from the very beginning. And the next thing that happens is we live in and experience abundant joy. Man, that's good. That's so good. Once you're saved, man, it all starts from friendship. But you remember, prayer, time with your friend is not just a one-way street where you do all the talking and he does all the desiring and dreaming. Everything with friendship is both ways. We talk and we listen. We dream and he dreams and I dream and he dreams. And man, we start to see how it all coincides. And one day we get to that point where he said, you'll be here one day. And we look back and we're like, wow, that journey didn't look anything like I thought it would. And, and, and now that I'm here, this dream doesn't even look exactly like I thought it would from the beginning. But me and my friend got here together and this is what we have been dreaming about. And then in the middle of that joy, we say, all right, what's next? And our friend might say, what's next? You tell me, what do you want? Where are we going next? Or he might say, hey, this is a good place. And we'll say, all right, let's do that. But you got a friend and he loves you so much and he's on your side. He wants us to get there more than we want to get there. Amen. Thank you, Jesus. Let's all stand together and let's respond with a few moments of worship.